Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hello, and welcome to episode 24 of Endurance Horse Podcast. This episode is focused on the non-traditional endurance horse. First, I wanted to share with you something that I had learned at the Midwest Horse Fair this year. I had a vendor booth there for my photography and it gave me a great segue to also share my love of distance riding with other riders. What I learned there shocked me a little bit. Here I was at an event that was plum full of riders from all over the Midwest. This was a three-day horse fair in Madison, Wisconsin. This horse fair boasts over 300 educational clinics and seminars in the three days, over 500 vendors, and typically sees over 61,000 attendees. At this horse owner-filled event, most of the people I talked with about endurance had no idea what it was. Let that sink in for a moment. At a horse fair, horse people did not know what endurance is. The second thing I learned was that when I met riders who did know what endurance was, they thought that endurance was primarily a West Coast sport only. The third thing I learned was that the riders who did know what endurance was did not think they could do it because they did not own an Arabian. Some people also felt that they were too old and that the sport is only for the young or those around 25 years old or younger. Through this episode of the podcast, I hope to encourage riders who may be listening and thinking about trying a distance riding that you can do it with any sound horse that you choose and take your time conditioning. Some breeds of horses tend to handle hot weather better than others and the Arabian is the star at handling the heat. Many breeds of horses have a naturally lower heart rate though I would like to tell you that here are some horse owners in this episode that are going to share with you what joys they find in riding a non-traditional breed in endurance. They are loving this sport with the horses that they have. To confirm for this episode that the Arabian and Half Arabian are the go-to horse in the sport of endurance, I reached out to Mike Mall and the AERC. Here are the 2018 numbers for breeds entered in the AERC rides. Thank you, Mike, for providing the numbers and thank you, AERC, for always being so helpful on the phone and by email. In 2018, if you add together the Arabians and the Arabian crosses, there were 10,811 competing, which is nearly 80% of all horses competing. So clearly, Arabians and half Arabians are the mainstay of the sport of endurance. The next horses in line may surprise you. In 2018, there were 357 Mustangs, 268 Morgans, 225 Tennessee Walking Horses, 170 Grade Horses, 165 Appaloosas, 154 Quarter Horses, 118 Pasofinos, and all other breeds combined were 1,000. 333 horses competing. The total number of horses competing was 13,601. But maybe it's not so surprising that 
in a horse fair of 61,000 attendees that a sport that has 13,601 in the United States competing. Um, maybe it's, it's not surprising that they don't know who we are. So I'm doing my part on the podcast to try to get the good word out about how fun endurance riding is. So please share this with somebody that you think might want to get into endurance riding and let them know and let them hear for some of these amazing horses that are doing so well in the sport. It is easy to see by the statistics that Mike Mall so kindly sent to me that Arabians and half Arabian horses are not just seemingly the dominant breed in endurance, they surely outnumber the rest easily. However, there are many great qualities to other breeds and this inspiration for episode 24 is purely to encourage you to try the breed you already have, the breed you already love. I am sharing as the first person in the audio in this episode, the before, during and after of my little 13 year old mare's first LD with me just over a week ago on August 10. I followed a conditioning plan. I had a few hiccups along the way, i.e. hoof abscesses. I'm sharing Grace's update on this episode because she was basically a love baby. She is a non-traditional endurance horse. She is by our trainer Carino's Fire and out of our paint mare, Bailey Zippo. We intended Grace to maybe be shown in dressage and to be a trail horse. Certainly we never pictured her as an endurance prospect. She is 15-2, 15-3 hands, probably 15-2, and she's heavily muscled. She's a sweetheart. She's very laid back. She took great care of me on this ride. Only spooked once or twice. So here I am, even though she was never intended to be an endurance prospect, sharing with you the audio of our non-traditional horse a much adored mare, a big puppy dog personality. Without further ado, or maybe just a little ado, here is my emotional moment out of somewhere between mile 21 and 22 when I finally realized and I knew that she was going to not just finish, she was going to finish strong. Thank you, Grace, for such an enjoyable ride and all the rides we rode to condition to get to that point. Thank you for being the horse that added an additional 25 miles to my record and carried me that 25 miles closer to my 1,000 mile goal. Here's Grace. Let me introduce you to amazing Grace. Hey everybody, this is Chris. And Jim. And we're up in Arkdale, Wisconsin, one of our favorite places to camp and ride. And we vetted in a little bit ago. It is uh, pretty much almost bedtime. It's about 10 o'clock. And Grace has settled in amazingly. Um, Acts like she does this every day of her life. It's her first time. And uh, we hear that although we have a nice flat trail to ride, that it's quite muddy. So I'm hoping if all goes well, I will record a little bit tomorrow, um, recording pre-ride, during ride, and after ride, to let you know how the girls' first ride went. So until later, good night. Bye. Hey guys, Grace and I are out on the trail, um, taking a walk break. But we've got exactly 21 miles in right now, so we're almost done. And I couldn't be more proud of her. And, um, you know, Jim and I bred 
this mare and she's 13 she's kind of been kind of a pasture girl she's not your typical endurance horse I wasn't sure how this was going to go but I spent a lot of weeks training her from March till now um, to get her to this point and I'm just I know it's just a 25 I know it's an LD but I'm just so proud of her um, that restart my timer she is such a trooper I've been riding intervals with her so we trot for a set time and then we move along you know at that pace and then we walk for a minute and she has just gotten stronger and stronger the whole way I'm we're coming into the 22nd mile now and she is just has the same amount of energy as when we left. Um, I'll talk more about it later, but I knew I picked the right ride to start her at. This is a nice flat ride, very soft footing, and uh, just a little mud and bugs, but it was the definitely the right choice for her, for her first LD. And I can't wait to vet her through and then see her name pop up on ARC that she has a ride under her belt finally at 13. So we'll catch up with you guys later. I just promised that I would do a little bit on trail here and I did. So talk to you later. Hey, it's Chris again and and Jim and say hi Grace and Grace. So we're all done. We're vetted through she did very well um and that's a wrap for that i'll probably when we get home uh add more to this string of audios but i did want to just record while we were out here we took her for a walk and she's just doing great she doesn't really look like she did much so proud of her My name is Patricia Clark, and I'm from North Carolina. I'm a lifelong horse owner. I've been competing in endurance since 2008. I have 1,705 endurance miles um, and over 1,100 limited distance miles with a 92% completion rate overall. Um, I wanted to talk to you today about standard breads. My main uh, partner on the trail is a 15-3 standard bred named East Meets West, and his barn name is Eli. Um, it never fails to, when I go to an endurance ride, that somebody looks him up and down and they'll say, what kind of horse is that? He really does tower above most of his Arabian competitors. He's got this big air of authority. Um, like, don't you realize that I was once a racehorse? He strikes this really imposing figure, very muscular, um, great physique. And when we first emerged on the Southeast Endurance Circuit in late 2009, we got a lot of quizzical looks from the regulars. They're like, what kind of horse is that? Um, Eli actually started his career as East Meets West, a standard bred pacer uh, under the reins of Archie McNeil. Archie raised him, trained him, uh, bred him. 
He's sired by the Western Hanover son, Western Paradise, and is bred royally through and through. He raced 21 times, but he was less than profitable on the racetrack. He earned less than $7,000. So Mr. McNeil chose to send Eli to New Vocations Racehorse Adoption to find a new job. So rather than fall through the cracks of harness racing, Eli, you know, had a new opportunity. I saw a really short video clip on YouTube of Eli under saddle, and I knew that I had to have him. I had actually just gotten another mare from them that didn't work out, and so it seemed very, um, you know, appropriate that um, I give Eli a chance. I notified Dot Morgan, who was the director of New Vocations, and Eli was mine within four hours of having been put up for adoption. It's very quality horse. He's got a regal air, very athletic, and that illustrated all the attributes that I was seeking in an endurance prospect. So why a standard bred for endurance? I could have easily jumped on with everyone else and rode an Arabian. I've had Arabians. My background's diverse. So over the years, I've trained quarter horses, owned and ridden Appaloosas, Arabians, Rocky Mountain horses, Pasifinos, Tennessee Walkers, racking horses, and a variety of other breeds. As a lover of gated horses, I really wanted a horse that had a gentle temperament, athleticism, and the potential to have a variety of gates. I found all of those with Eli. He has legs of iron from years of jogging on the racetrack. He can trot for hours at 10 miles per hour, and he has bursts of speed that are just unbelievable. His arsenal of gates includes uh, a walk that's over five miles per hour. Uh, he's got a great trot, which is his gate of choice, even though he was a pacer on the track. Uh, he can pace, of course, stepping pace and slow rack, and he will occasionally offer uh, a canter or some kind of gallop, uh, not his gait of choice. His disposition is kind of funny. He's really particular um, about where he eats and how he's treated. He'll throw his feed bucket in the water tub. He plays with it like a sailboat. He does not like to eat off the ground. Um, he does not like cold baths. He would prefer a warm shower. Um, and he expects you to be punctual in all of your care of him. But he has a tremendous work ethic, just as many standard breads do. He does not like to be left at home. So he wants to go out and he likes to be on the trail. And he transitioned to that very easily. Uh, he quickly changed gears in his life. Uh, most standard breads adapt quickly to new training. And the first time he went trail riding, he took off at a bold trot and never looked back. Uh, he relishes new trails, new challenges. He travels well. He'll camp in an electric corral or, or other types of panels. Uh, he's never attempted to escape. After some trail conditioning, he completed his first ride, which was a 35-mile ride at H. Cooper Black in South Carolina in the fall of 2009. And... It's, it's really deep sand there, and he does really well, whether it's mountains or sand, which are our two uh, primary competition zones. He performs with ease, poise, power, confidence. Uh, my proudest moment that year proved to be when several influential members of the endurance community noticed him and made a point to tell me that this was a really good-looking horse and that they appreciated the way that I took care of him at rides. By the end of 20. Uh, 10, he had completed 10 rides, and we'd become a really common site at rides in our region. 
the looks from others kind of faded away and the vets knew who we were and that we were capable. And at the end of 2010, I signed him up for his first 55 mile endurance event. There, people are like, you're gonna do what? And I believe there were people who doubted his ability to complete a true endurance event, but I knew that he was ready to prove his mettle. He's a consistent machine on the trail. He can just trot and trot like a metronome. Um, so our ability to maintain a steady pace throughout a ride has assisted us in successfully completing a lot of events. His body language as we headed out on that first 55 mile ride, and we were at about mile 35, seemed to indicate that he thought we might have made a mistake. But as the sun set, we finished that last loop up in the dark and he rallied and trotted boldly for camp. Um, passed the final trot out uh, really well um, and I could never have been more proud of him. He always gives his best. Um, you know, I, I wondered at that moment, you know, would Archie be proud of Eli for pounding out 55 miles in one day? And of course he was as he remains in contact with us. Our accomplishment proved to be a small one in the world of AERC, but it was a monumental moment in our partnership. But he didn't stop there. He got stronger and stronger. Uh, in 2012, we attempted and completed his first 75-mile ride in the top 10. Uh, he won his second 75-mile ride. As we trotted through the dark at the Alabama Yellowhammer 75, I was never more proud of him. Our connection is really beyond anything I've ever experienced with a horse, and I think we're well on our way to becoming a decade team. By the end of 2018, uh, he's accumulated uh, 1,230 endurance miles, 525 limited distance miles, and he was honored by winning the first annual uh, U.S. Trotting Horse Association High Mileage AERC Standard Bread Award for 2011. So people don't really ask what he is anymore. Um, he doesn't get mistaken for an Anglo-Arab or a Mustang or a Thoroughbred anymore. Um, he's a standard bred and I feel like, you know, in some ways he has uh, been the, you know, grandfather of a lot of new standard breds moving into the sport. So he continues to head out on the trail. He's, he's really happy. You know, he's getting older now, so a little bit more maintenance uh, keeping him up. But uh, we're hoping to complete our decade team this fall if everything goes well. I will say that I do avoid extremely hot rides with him. That is not his forte. Um, so we, being in the southeast, we primarily compete in the fall because the weather, of course, is better for us. Um, I don't like the heat either, so I'm with him on that. He pulses down well. I typically get off and walk him in the last quarter of a mile, um, and that gives him a chance to, you know, calm himself and get to a point where uh, he's going to pulse down readily. If it's below 80 degrees and the humidity is not terrible, he will generally pulse down in, you know, less than five minutes. Uh, that's normal for him. I found over the years that if he goes over seven minutes, then uh, something is amiss. So you need to pay attention to those little key indicators that your horse is trying to give you. 
in terms of standard breads, you know, they vary tremendously. You're going to have trotters, you have pacers, uh, you have pacers like Eli that prefer to trot. So uh, you have to be very careful when you're selecting them and make sure that you're getting a horse that matches what you are looking for. You know, he had to learn how to trot on the trail. He's a big racehorse. He used to trip over those little knolls on the trail and he can now race through tight single track trail with little effort. And you know, I really can't imagine my life without him. And I hope that he can continue to inspire others to give standard breads an opportunity to try new sports. Uh, new Vocations is a great resource to help people get started and trying to locate one. They're very common in the Southeast though. A lot of speed racking horses are also standard breads. So the tradition of riding these, uh, you know, really strong and powerful horses that have such a tremendous work ethic and gentle disposition is long lasting here. Um, and I hope that that is spreading to other parts of the country. He's been on the cover of the Village Courier magazine. He had an article in the AERC Extra newsletter, and he's also had an article in the Southeastern Endurance Riders newsletter. And he's got a pretty strong social media presence. And I feel that we've had a part in inspiring others to try standard breads as he was also a New Vocations ambassador. And, you know, again, we're one ride away from our decade team. So I hope that we can make that happen this fall. I would encourage anyone who's interested to please visit Team Standard Bread Endurance Horses on Facebook that was started by my good friend Anita Reese, who also rides standard breads and, and rescues them. And it's a great community of folks that have discovered how marvelous the standard bread can be and how well suited they are for endurance. Hi, my name is Joe Harder and I'm an endurance rider in Florida. I've been riding endurance for about 10 years now and I thoroughly enjoy it. I love riding on my off the track thoroughbreds. Riding thoroughbreds is definitely a challenge, especially off the track thoroughbreds, for the reason being that they are trained to go fast and that's pretty much it. So when you obtain an off the track thoroughbred, there's a great deal of education process that has to occur. For example, thoroughbreds in general don't like to trot. They are used to either walking or running and trotting to them is a nuisance gate. You have to teach them that yes, they are going to trot and we will like it. In time, they get the hang of it, but it's definitely a learning process. Something else is that off the track thoroughbreds are accustomed to going faster when you lean over. Well, if you're leaning over for a tree branch and the horse thinks that it should be going faster, that might not be the best circumstance. So just something to be aware of with an off-the-track thoroughbred. But I have to say I'm extremely happy with my off-the-track thoroughbreds and I absolutely love them. In terms of getting into endurance, it's been quite a few years since I started. It actually happened by accident for me. I was riding with my sister who was visiting and we were riding my two horses and my off the track thoroughbred at that time, she said, this horse would be great for distance riding. I said, what's that? And she explained it to me and I thought, I have to do this. This is perfect. This is exactly what I want to do. So long story short, within probably about six months or eight months, we were starting with rookie clinics and starting with distance riding. And 
haven't looked back ever since. All of my horses are rescue horses that I've obtained from Horse Protection Association of Florida. They all, at some point in their lives, were a body score one and in a very, very pitiful state. So Horse Protection took the horses in, they rescued them, they went through all the legalities, and they also, of course, fed the horses, got veterinary care, dental care, all of that, and then put them back into training when they were ready for it. And in my case, they all turned out to be absolutely wonderful horses. So at this point, I have four horses in my pasture, of which one is a retired endurance horse, one is the husband horse, and two are my competition horses. So I absolutely love my thoroughbreds. There's nothing like galloping through the woods on an off-the-track thoroughbred. But you can't disillusion yourself to thinking that you're going to be doing this right away like you might in the movies. It just does not happen that way. It takes a, a lot of work before you can really trust your thoroughbred because, again, they are trained go forward and go fast, and that's it. There's a lot more to endurance riding than just going fast. So you have to train the horse to really take care of itself. In some cases, you may be dealing with ulcers. You may be dealing with some hoof issues that you need to work through. So there's definitely a learning process for each one of these horses as well as for yourself. So it is definitely not a fairy tale type situation. You need to go into it with your eyes wide open for riding an off-the-track thoroughbred. But in terms of them being an endurance horse prospect, think of it this way. They've had a lot of handling and a lot of training. So they have no issues at all with the vet putting their hands all over the horse or getting their temperature taken or anything along those lines. So at the vet check, my horses are actually pretty good. Never say never, because they're, they've had some bad days too. But for the most part, they're totally accustomed to the vets looking them over and, uh, and, and everything that's associated with that. But in terms of starting a ride, that to me is the hardest part, especially for a horse that I'm just starting out. The reason being that they think of it as it's the start of the race. I need to come out of the gate and go really fast. So if you're starting with a new thoroughbred, you definitely want to stay back. Maybe have a friend, maybe not. Depends on if your horse likes to ride alone or not. And definitely wait at least five minutes till everyone's out. Your first few rides, absolutely, positively. Does your horse have an engine? Yes. Do you want to use that engine? No. Hold back. You have to have sometimes a, a little bit of stronger of a bit and definitely a stronger arms and be able to do some one rein stops because your horse is going to want to go. But once you can get over those first few minutes, life is really good. Uh, for one of my horses, it took uh, a couple of years to get to that point. But once I got past the first few miles, I have to tell you, it was heaven after that. Uh, so that's how I really enjoy my horses uh, when they're giving me a hard time at the beginning. And I think, okay, if I can just get through the first few miles, life is going to be really great after that. And it tends to be. So I've had some wonderful, wonderful times with my off-the-track thoroughbreds. We've come in first, we've come in last, and we've come in everything in between. 
I go to a ride wanting to have fun. Come on, let's face it. What do you get, a bigger hoof pick for coming in first place? Yes, I've come in first place, but it's not that big of a deal to me. Most importantly, I want to finish a ride with a happy, healthy horse. Some people call endurance racing as a term, and I call it endurance riding. My horses have raced once in their life, and they're never going to do that again. I don't want to put them through that. I want to enjoy it as a ride, and that's exactly what we do. I think that there are a lot of challenges with thoroughbreds, but I think that overall it's very, very well worth it in the long run. In my case, I took in the rescues and have made them into really wonderful horses. They tend to get into shape rather quickly because they have been in peak condition at some point in their lives. Chances are it was an early point in their lives and they were very young. But one of my horses, for example, she raced when she was three. And then again, when she was about six, when I got her and she was 11, getting her into shape was pretty easy because she had that muscle memory. Uh, so in her case, it was actually not that much work. And from a physical standpoint, however, from a mental standpoint, she had a lot to get through, and it took many, many rides to get her to the point where she was comfortable. She didn't like to leave ride camp, the, the last one that I started. The first half a mile to a mile, she kept giving me signals that she wanted to do a 180 because going back to ride camp was a lot more fun than what we were doing. But once she got going, she absolutely loved it. So she's, she's a work in progress. Uh, one of my other horses just loves to get started fast, loves to pass everybody, and loves to keep going. She's the one that I've had several first place finishes on. And again, I don't care if I'm first place or last. I just want to have a happy, healthy horse. One of the biggest challenges of thoroughbreds are their feet. Uh, let's face it, thoroughbred hooves are not known to be the best quality feet in the world. In many cases, the thoroughbreds are shod at a very young age. They're kept in stalls a lot and their hoof development is not quite what it should be. There are challenges to be overcome. It's not impossible by any means. My horses are barefoot. I do put glue-ons on for competitions sometimes and I do ride them in boots. I have found that that really keeps their hooves in much better condition. And for competitions, especially where we're going over rocks and so forth, I don't want to subject them to that barefoot. And I totally believe in no steel, no aluminum, no nails, no anything like that in my horse's feet ever again. They are going to be barefoot. And overall, they've got pretty good feet. One of my horses in particular was definitely raised in a stall and had shoes slapped on her feet at a very young age. So her hooves are always a work in progress. I have to keep her toes really short, but she does 50 mile rides and she finishes looking pretty good. So it's not to say it is impossible. It's a little bit more management if you do get one that doesn't have great feet, but 
it's not impossible by any means. So go out there, get yourself a thoroughbred, understand what you're getting into. It's a little bit more work on the front end, but you will have a blast. Hello from the great state of Wyoming. My name is Lauren Kaziah and my horse Cora is a seven-year-old chestnut mare. I bought Cora three years ago as an unbroke four-year-old who had a history and reputation of stomping snakes and killing coyotes. She was advertised as a 15-hand Arabian thoroughbred cross, but when we made the six-hour drive to see her, we found a rangy little pony of only about 13 hands. I'd been looking for a little taller horse, um, but I liked her friendly demeanor, and I figured that her height didn't matter all that much, and I hoped that being a four-year-old, um, that she might grow a little. So long story short, I bought her, and over the summer I began doing some groundwork, um, teaching her some manners, and then I put about 10 rides on her before just turning her out to grow and to mature a little bit mentally. Um, as a five-year-old, I worked with her extensively on the ground. Um, she has a reputation um, of being a little pushy and disrespectful on the ground, um, and still does, so we keep up on the groundwork. Um, I, you know, I felt like she still needed a little bit of time to mature mentally, so I took things very slowly with her. Um, I didn't start her into consistent work under saddle until October of 2017. Um, we attended our first endurance ride in June of 2018 at the City of Rocks out in Elmo, Idaho. We rode the LDs there all three days. We completed each day with a pretty respectable vet card, um, considering that we really did not know what we were doing or where we were going, and we're pretty dependent on other people to sort of guide us along the way. You know, from that very first ride, I knew that I had found um, not only my sport within the equestrian community, but also really a brand new group of people who were just genuinely interested in seeing me and my horse succeed. Um, I come from an eventing background. And I've been involved in other equestrian sports. Um, so I know uh, what a rare commodity the community really is. Another thing that's really just blown me away as I've gotten to know this sport um, and the people involved in this sport um, is the focus on equine welfare by vets and riders. I've seen so many riders pull their horses because they, you know, they just didn't feel like their horse was quite right on a given day. And they'd rather pull um, their horses and save them for another day. Uh, versus go on and risk their horse's health or well-being. I find that so commendable. Um, and that's not something you really see to such a high degree in, um, in other equestrian sports. So I made mention before that my little mare, um, who now stands, I'm proud to say, about 14 hands, um, is of unknown descent. She's supposed to be Arabian thoroughbred cross, but um, I have no paperwork to prove that. Every ride I go to, I'm asked, what breed is your horse? And I used to tell people, you know, she's an Arabian thoroughbred cross. And people would always just step back and look at her and say, well, I really don't see the thoroughbred. And I don't know that I see the Arabian. Well, I see some Morgan in her or I might see some quarter horse in her, you know, or whatever. Um, so now I either tell people, you know, that she's just a grade mare and I don't know, or, or I just ask people, Hey, what do you, what do you see? What do you see in her? And, and it's always fun to, to hear people's responses. Um, it's just kind of a fun game to play. One of my absolute favorite, favorite things, 
um, about Cora is her drive. Um, she's not the fastest. Um, she didn't have the biggest stride. You know, she's not um, a super impressive mover. Um, but when you get that horse out on the trail, she knows her job. She's willing to do her job, and she will do whatever it takes to get the job done. Um, maybe slower than the other horses. You know, I don't think she'll ever be, you know, a top 10 horse or, you know, some real competitive, um, you know, high points horse. But but she's really got a lot of heart, and she is so stoic. That horse will not tell you, she will not tell you if anything is wrong. Um, and that's, that's both... Um, commendable, I think, but also just deeply frustrating. Um, I had a saddle on her last year that I thought fit pretty well. Um, not great, but pretty well. Um, and then her winter coat came in, um, and these, just these huge white spots appeared and, and I felt so bad because she never told me that that saddle hurt her back. So that's actually something we've been working on this year is improving saddle fit. She's a little bit difficult to fit. Um, she's a little downhill. She kind of has the short back. Um, and again, she's super stoic. She will not tell you if anything is wrong. So you really have to, um, <laughs> you really have to be trying to pay attention to sweat marks and how the saddle feels. And, and I still don't have it right, but it's something that we are working on. And I hope to have figured out by the end of this season. Uh, being a non-typical, I would say, um, endurance horse. You know, she's not the, the lean, mean Arabian machine that you see out there on the trail. Um, you know, I haven't come across anything that was um, particularly difficult in her management. Um, I'm brand new to the sport, and this is the first horse that I've introduced to the sport. Um, so I haven't never had the convenience of a horse that just you hop off and they're immediately pulsed down, or a horse that you don't have to try to keep cool. Um, uh, whenever you hit a stream or a water trough that you can sponge out of, that's just something that um, that I've just taken to doing, and uh, and I've not had a problem keeping her cool. Um, typically, when we come into a hold, um, I'll hop off, loosen the girth, um, take her bridle off, um, and then as soon as I start sponging her neck, her her pulse will drop right down to criteria. So, um, I I feel pretty fortunate in that she's not like some of these. Um, heavier horses, like some quarter horses and my husband's Mustang, um, that you really have to work hard to get them to pulse down. Um, so I haven't, I haven't come across any challenges there yet. We have been developing our electrolyte protocol. Right now we are using Enduramax combined with um, kaolin pectin as a buffer. Typically what I'll do is I'll take an empty Gatorade bottle and I will put a dose of Enduramax, I think it's three scoops, two or three scoops, um, into the bottle, and then I will fill the bottle about three quarters of the way full with a gallon pectin, um, and then I'll add a little bit of water just to kind of um, dilute it just a little bit to make it a little easier to syringe, and then I'll toss that in my saddlebag, um, carry a syringe with me, and then at every water stop where she drinks really well, I'll hop off. Typically, I'll draw up into the syringe um, about an ounce, maybe two ounces um, of the mixture, and I'll dose with that. That way, she's only just getting a tiny um, buffered amount of electrolyte at a time. I feel like that is a better way to electrolyte versus um, dumping huge um, doses into her stomach at once. 
um, I have noticed um, a definite difference in her attitude and just general um, disposition throughout the day when I'm dosing with electrolytes. Um, I feel like the more electrolyte um, I use throughout the day, the better she tends to feel. Um, if it's a hot ride, I might dose um, maybe a little bit more um, at each stop. But I typically, every time she takes a good drink, I, I do try to, to put a little bit of electrolyte into her, you know, just to kind of keep up on it. And uh, thankfully, she's really cute. She likes the way the kale and pectin tastes. So um, as soon as I pull that out, she thinks it's a treat and um, takes it up with no problem. One thing that I do do with Cora is I roach her mane. Um, I do get some funny looks um, from some people from time to time because, you know, some people just really do not like the look of a roach mane on a horse. Um, I don't do it for aesthetic appeal. Um, I really do it just to help her keep her cool, um, and it does make a difference. Another thing that we have done um, in the early spring before we go to a ride, um, when we know that we're going to be going to a ride that's, um, you know, 20 to maybe 30 degrees warmer than our area, is we will trace clip the horses, um, remove just a little bit of the hair so that they're able to dissipate the heat a little bit better. Um, we did that this spring before our first ride, and it, and it did work out really, really well. It really made a big difference in the horse's ability to stay cooler when they were working in, in temperatures that were you know 25 degrees warmer than what they were typically being worked in. So that's just an option for people uh, maybe to consider, um, especially in the spring months, I think, as things are starting to kind of warm up and you have the option to uh, throw a blanket on your horse. So I'm out of time for today, but I just really wanted to say to anybody who's out there who's thinking about trying endurance, but is just not sure that their horse can do it, whatever horse you have standing in your pasture right now, if he or she is sound and, and reasonably sane, go get on that horse. Um, it doesn't matter the breed. It doesn't matter the color. It doesn't matter the height. Uh, it doesn't matter the age. Um, go get on that horse and let that horse surprise you. Until next time. Hello, my name is Libby and I'm from the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State. My current mount is a 15-year-old Tennessee walking horse named Mo. I've been riding since I was four and I'm in my mid-40s now. I've done everything from gaming, showing Western and English pleasure, and just pleasure riding. Mo and I teamed up about two years ago after I put the word out that I was looking for a gated horse due to having rheumatoid arthritis and needing to have a long-term partner that I could be comfortable on. Mo was gelded late at about the age of five, and then at six he went out for 60 days of training and then promptly went back to his farm where he stayed in 80 acres until he was 13 when I met him. I've always wanted to try endurance, but I didn't really know how to go about it, and I met a wonderful friend, her name is Sarah, who is a local lady that also is new to endurance and also has a gated horse. When I first started working with Mo, he was about 300 pounds overweight and didn't know anything about trails, about picking up his feet, about all the crazy things that we might encounter out on a trail. So we've had a long road in the last two years to get him to where he is now. We've completed two LDs, the first one being at Coyote Ridge in eastern Washington. Our trails here on the Olympic Peninsula are a lot different than most of the ride trails that we've seen or have gone to so far being as we ride a lot in the rain and we have a lot of mud and clay 
just plain dirt and a lot of tree roots, but not a lot of rocks like you see over on the east side. About the only similar trail that we've gone on so far was when we took the horses up Mount Townsend last fall, which had a lot of steep switchbacks and a lot of rock. But most of our rides are up and down some very steep hills and embankments. So we don't have a lot of wide open spaces that we can pick up a good gate and continue on for miles and miles. Our main challenge is that we are much cooler than where most of the rides are held. And so we really lack in the heat training. Our first ride at Coyote Ridge this year, I learned quite a bit as it being my first ride. I really wasn't sure what to expect. I'd done all the research. I talked to everybody I could think of about how to prepare Mo. And we practiced a trot out, which as a walker, he's gated. And I was really concerned uh, that the vets would think that he was lame just because he's kind of a dork and does this really funny gate lope trot thing. But he learned how to trot, much to the vet's pleasure. They were so happy to see a gated horse able to trot properly. We knew the weather was going to be warm, so I did the best to try to get Mo to hydrate well. I went out and bought pelleted and powdered electrolytes, and I found that he will not eat them. About mile four into our ride, he and I took a really big spill over a big rock. He was rushing and not paying attention to where he was putting his feet and hit the rock. I went up and over his neck and he went all the way down. With the help of an air vest in my helmet, I was okay and we finished the ride. Mile 20 was our vet check and I had only gotten off and walked him about an eighth of a mile. I uh, took the bit out and loosened his girth. We came in at a pulse of 68 and he pulsed down to 60 in about nine minutes. He wasn't super interested in eating anything. I did get him to eat some grass and he drank plenty of water and we vetted out and continued on our ride. By this time in the day, it was in the upper 80s, which on the west side, we'd only been about 70, so it was super hot for him. He drank really well at every opportunity, um, but I knew that he was starting to get tired. So when we walked in, I probably should have walked him from further. We came in about an eighth of a mile in hand, and after 30 minutes, he still wasn't down, so he was pulled from metabolic. Our next ride was scheduled for the ferry following weekend, and I was a little concerned after being a metabolic pole, but I talked to my vet at home, and she thought he was good to go and just try to get some electrolytes. She also suggested doing a prebiotic and a probiotic a few days before the ride just to help with his digestion. Since Mo had refused to eat the powdered and the pelleted electrolytes, I went out and got a couple tubes of paste electrolytes. The morning we left, I gave him a half a tube and he drank great at camp when we got there. I went ahead and gave him the morning of the ride a half a tube and at the vet check, another half of a tube. I also decided to get off and walk him from about a quarter of a mile in and both times we came in at a 60, so that helped him a lot. The ride didn't have anything for the horses to eat during the ride and on the last loop we didn't have any water. The cows had drank all the water out of the cow troughs except for the very last one which was pretty muddy and dirty by that point in the day so I was quite concerned that he was going to have some problems but he did come in at a 60. Thank goodness. The week after our second ride the farrier came out and he noticed that Mo had a, quite a bit of sensitivity and soreness in his feet 
probably from all the rocks that we'd encountered. So he gave me some tips on how to toughen up his soles. He is still shot at this point. He was about 300 pounds overweight when I started working with him and had suffered a bout of laminitis. And so we're working on going towards barefoot, but I'm not sure that he will be able to do so since his feet do get sore on any kind of rocks and gravel. We also discovered that he had very sore withers from saddle fit. Since I started working with him, we've gone through about four different saddles. Actually, I'm on my fifth right now uh, due to the way that his body has changed over the course of conditioning. He went from very round, flat back, no withers, to having prominent withers and is lean and mean for Tennessee Walker is what my vet said. The most important thing that I have learned working with a gated horse who is very heavy boned and very well muscled is that the heat training is essential. And so this summer I am still focusing on heat training. I am going to start riding with a blanket um, and try to get him a little bit better prepared for our next ride, which is at the end of September. However, it's back over on the east side of the state and it will probably still be fairly warm. I don't know that Mo and I'll be ever able to do a 50. My hope is to try a 50 in 2020 but if he can only do LDs, I'm completely happy with that. My main goal is to have a happy and a healthy horse at the end of each ride and not to do any major harm to him. His health and well-being is way more important than my pride. Thank you for listening and good luck and ride on. Hi, my name is Jessica Isbrecht and I am a green bean endurance rider from New Jersey. I'm in my second season and I have two horses currently. Um, however, I'm doing um, endurance a little bit differently. <laughs> uh, my partner Byron and I left New Jersey uh, just a little over a year ago and um, we are just traveling with our horses and because I like competing in endurance, I try to fit it into our travel. And so far, we've met lots of wonderful people at endurance rides from Maine to Arizona to Utah and Wyoming and most recently, Idaho. So um, my two horses are Mackenzie and River. Mackenzie is a Cleveland Bay thoroughbred mare who's 15. She and I did um, a CTR in Pennsylvania in 2018 and then a 25-mile limited distance endurance ride in Maine um, in August of 2018 at the Pine Tree Pioneer. And then we, um, yeah, we left New Jersey in June of 2018, spent the summer in New Hampshire, and then went up to the endurance ride in Maine in August. And we started heading south to um, Arizona in the fall. So we spent the winter in Arizona. I got to meet lots of great endurance people there. Um, I crewed at Tonto Twist for Andrea Maitland. And I'm going to be crewing for her horse again um, in a couple weeks at Tevis. And then uh, I did an intro ride with Mackenzie in Arizona around Thanksgiving. And then she had been injured, so we couldn't do too much more. And I was really bummed out. So around Christmas, we got a second horse named River. She's a Tennessee walker. I kind of got her as a gift for my partner, Byron, so that he could join me on 
longer trail rides, not be inconvenienced so much by having to hike or ride a bicycle alongside me. River is a nine-year-old Tennessee walking horse, and she's a liver chestnut, and we honestly didn't know too much about her background when we bought her. She was actually the first horse we looked at, which is crazy. I was against the idea of just buying her right away, but um, he kind of fell in love with her and convinced me into it, so figured what could go wrong. <laughs> um, we took her back to the camp we were living at, and um, I started working with her. He rode her in a round pen once before we took her out on a trail, and uh, she ended up being a great beginner's horse for him. So I had always kind of hoped that uh, the next horse we bought might be suited to endurance. We just did lots of long, slow conditioning in Arizona before I kind of, for the moment, decided to take her on her first LD in um, Sonoida, Arizona. I was really, really nervous because I had only ridden her about half a dozen times because he was mainly, um, she was mainly his mount. And um, she has terrible separation anxiety. I knew that Mackenzie would be back at the trailer calling for her, and I knew that River would be just losing her mind at the start and um, when we came back into camp. I made sure to get a riding buddy before committing to this ride. Christina McCarty on Hot Shot was absolutely wonderful. She uh, she kind of babysat us through the crazy start. River was kind of spinning and freaking out and going sideways and a little bit uncontrollable. We kept it together. She didn't buck. She didn't rear. She didn't do anything crazy. She was just uh, like a ping pong ball all over the place. And to make matters worse, a mule got loose and was galloping through camp back and forth multiple times while we were getting ready to start. That really um, was like jumping into the fire <laughs> on our first ride, but we got through it and um, ended up having a great time. Uh, about a month later, Mount Carmel XP in southern Utah happened. That one was 35 miles instead of 25, so it was a little bit of a step up, and I had arranged to ride with Christina and Hotshot again. But unfortunately, she had an injury and pulled herself. So I was nervous again about the start, but I decided to stick it out and hopefully hook up with somebody. When we got to the start, I told one of the officials that I was a green bean and I was really nervous about going out on the trail alone. And she said, oh, I have the perfect people for you. Sandra and Lynn were two riders from California who very graciously took us under their wings. And uh, we rode with them through the whole 35 miles, completed and had a great time. And I was tired afterwards because it was the furthest I'd gone to date. But uh, I kind of thought about it like, oh, 15 more miles would bring us to 50. That, that seems a little more doable now. We moved on from Utah and headed up to South Dakota and did some trail riding up there and then into Wyoming. I decided, again, a little bit on spur of the moment that instead of just doing an LD, I was going to bump up to doing my first 50 at Dorsey Creek in Otto, Wyoming. And um, 
again, I was really nervous because it's my first 50 and this horse has all these anxiety issues when we're leaving camp and leaving her buddy. The night before the ride at the meeting, I told the ride manager and announced to everybody that um, this was my first 50 and I really, really wanted a buddy. Otherwise, I probably wasn't going to do it. Yvette, a very nice lady who was doing the ride to complete her decade team requirements with her horse, Roscoe, again, took me, a complete stranger, under her wing and said, you know, as long as you're okay with riding my ride and it's going to be slow, um, you're welcome to join me. And slow sounded great to me because I didn't know how well we would do doing 50 miles. You know, we went through it with her and her riding partner, Gary. We ended up having a really great experience. I was much more sore and more tired after doing 50 miles, but I was really, really proud of myself for getting through it and proud of this little horse who I'd only had for six months um, completing a 50. So uh, in our in our travels, we moved on from Wyoming. Well, actually, we stopped up in the Tetons and did some trail riding in the Bridger Teton wilderness. Swung through Yellowstone and did some sightseeing and then moved into Idaho. It was my first time in Idaho. I've never ridden there. I've never done anything in Idaho. So I was really excited about the prospect of going up to the top of the world pioneer which is held in northern idaho in spencer in a national forest and the trail actually takes you up on the continental divide and you if you're doing the 50 ride a few miles through montana as well as idaho so i thought that sounded super cool and um messaged the ride manager, uh, Jessica, a couple days before and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing my second 50 here. You know, I don't know exactly how conditioned my horse is to be doing a 50 on these big mountains. Can you tell me a little bit more about the elevation? So um, she explained to me how much elevation might be involved and it was about 5,300 feet for the the day of the pioneer that I had chosen to ride and I thought okay um I guess we'll see how it goes <laughs> maybe I'll be happy if we get pulled halfway we do tons of mountain riding you know going from the mountains of Arizona to the mountains of Utah to the mountains of South Dakota and Wyoming the horse is pretty fit for doing hill work but just not over 50 miles and not at um, trotting speeds because my partner's a beginner rider, so he mostly likes to do slow rides with intermittent faster pace, but maybe trotting for 10 minutes is about all I can get him to do. <laughs> so the horse doesn't get tons of speed work in her conditioning, so I was concerned. We ended up going, and this was the first endurance ride I did with her where we didn't have a, uh, a riding buddy prearranged. I just um, showed up at, at the start and we went off with everybody else and kind of got our, our pace going and worked out our, our placement in line. 
and uh, she seemed to handle horses passing and lagging behind fairly well. Um, she was nicknamed by Christina um, as the social butterfly because at our first ride down in Arizona, she would just whinny to every horse that she saw out in the distance. They could be, you know, uh, half a mile ahead of us going down a hill as, as soon as she caught sight of them she would be whinnying like crazy to them even though she had hotshot as a buddy with her so um she likes she likes the endurance herd to stay together she gets really nervous when even if there's a horse near her others start going off into the distance so uh again i was really nervous but i figured if things got out of control i could just get off and hand walk or something like that Luckily, I didn't have to do that at any point because we ended up pacing really well with a lady named Kelly Jacobs, who was from Montana, and um, she and I got to talking and we bonded pretty quickly, and because our horses were going at about the same pace, we decided to stick together and we had a ton of fun talking about our lives and our horses and travel. Um, she's from California most recently, and Southern California is where I'm planning on moving to uh, after Tevis, hanging out there for the winter. So we had a lot of fun talking about that. The horses did great together and were very well behaved. So we, uh, we came back into camp for our hold, and there was only one hold on this 50-mile ride instead of the first 50 that I had done there had been two holds. So I think that that was a little bit of a detriment for me because I didn't have enough carrying capacity for water on my saddle. And I ended up running out of water uh, during both loops. And I think that I got really dehydrated because of the high altitude and how intense the sun was and how warm it was. It was a high in the mid 80s that day. But the horses were doing really well. Caught up with Kelly again on our way out of camp. And we pretty much rode the entire 50 miles together. The scenery for the ride was just beautiful. We went up onto the Continental Divide in the morning and took a little bit of a side trip over to a lookout point where we could see the valley below us. And that was at around 10,000 feet, I believe. Then we rode along the actual Continental Divide trail, went through grasslands and forests, and there was lots of natural water. There were streams. And then in the afternoon, we did uh, some lower elevation, more like sagebrush, pasture land, desert type terrain. And that was really hot. But we had um, good footing in most places, and we were able to go fairly quickly with not too much walking. So we got it over with pretty quickly. Luckily, there was natural water and decent streams and some nice grass for the horses to eat. So we finished pretty strong, vetted through pretty well. Um, I River had a slight lameness in her right front, and I was concerned because I had I had only trimmed her like two days before the ride, and I do my own barefoot trimming and boot my horses for rides, and I, I'm still learning to trim. So I was nervous that uh, that maybe I'd done something wrong or taken her too short and she had stone bruised or something. After vetting and realizing that there was a little bit of lameness, even though it was enough to complete, I was still nervous, so I 
took her hoof boot off immediately and inspected her foot and didn't notice anything wrong. Chalked it up to a stone bruise or something. And then about two days after the ride, I discovered scabbing on the backs of her heels and I realized unfortunately that uh, the boots had rubbed her heels over that long distance. So now I know for a more intense 50 with lots of up and down and water crossings and dirt and mud and things like that that I need. I need better gaiters and more padding on the backs of her heels to try to prevent rubbing. So anyway that's a quick recap of of our most recent ride. I have a couple more 50s or maybe back-to-back LDs planned for this season and then I'm already getting really excited about doing Southern California and Southwest rides over the winter. But um, my next adventure is uh, moving over to Tevis and crewing there and seeing that whole shindig for the first time. So um, I guess I will report back after that, packing up camp here in Idaho and getting ready to hit the road for Lake Tahoe and the Sierras tomorrow. Check back in next time. See ya. Bye. Hi, everyone. This is Boots Wagner from Wisconsin. Here in the Midwest, our ride season is in full swing. Weather is being weather. I got a little rain, we got a little wind, we have a little heat, and a whole lot of humidity. I'm sure that uh, sleet and snow are right around the corner, Uh, but any day on a horse is a good day, so we'll take it all in stride. I hope wherever you are, your weather is cooperating, and you're having a wonderful time with your equine friend. Um, Maybe you're getting ready for the Tevis. Two weeks ago, um, partner and I rode the Bone Crusher ride at 25LD down in the Southern Kettle Moraine. Uh, we rode with Katie Bachuber on Indy and Anna Holder riding her new standard bread, Cash. It was his first ride, so we had a good time. Uh, the weather was nasty hot and humid. We knew that waking up in the morning it wasn't going to get any any better Um, but they sent us out early so we managed to finish the ride before we got too far into the heat of the day Um, as we went down the trail we gave ourselves a name our little group was called the non-trads because looking around we were on non-traditional equines for this sport there was not an arabian horse among us so it kind of got us thinking about who Do we have to do anything special for these non-trad horses? (laughs) And I started thinking about the things that I do with partner to get him ready for a ride. Obviously, conditioning at home, out on the trails, that's an important piece. Early in the season, we uh, probably do more trotting, uh, making it a kind of a faster workout. Um, As the season goes along, just because we go every other weekend, um, our conditioning becomes more of let's go out and do a trail ride, um, throw in a little trotting, but let's just keep it mellow. Partner knows the difference between trail riding and competition days, um, and I know that he's always ready to go on those competition days. So this kind of just gives him a little bit of a mental break. 
As far as feeding him, I guess we all know that starts at home. Good quality hay, pasture. Right now they're out on pasture, uh, I'd say 10 to 12 hours a day. And then they get a little hay when they come in just to keep them busy at night so they're not hanging over the fences. He also gets a feed called Calm Ultra. And on top of that, he gets SPN vitamins and then an extra scoop of vitamin E. So that's, that's kind of what his feed schedule is at home. When we go to a ride, obviously take good quality hay with us. And as we all know, your horse never wants to eat his hay. He wants to eat his neighbor's hay. But I'm assuming we all have good quality hay. So we take that along. Other things I do for him, when he comes into a hold, he will get calcium right away. In the past, when we were first beginning this sport, he had um, some issues with cramping, and so um, calcium became our, our go-to in halfway and at the end of a ride. He always he gets calcium. He also gets a big dish of floating oats. His partner knows how to eat and drink on the trail. He does a really good job of taking care of himself. He learned that pretty quickly. You might even see us, sometimes he'll trot down the trail with his nose kind of like a peanut roller about two inches off the ground snagging what he can get. So he, he does take good care of himself eating and drinking. But I make sure that he's got floating oats when he comes in because I want him to make sure that he has something in his stomach. I also like the fact that he's getting more liquid into him so that when we present to the vets, Hopefully his gut sounds are good and his hydration is, is good. On the trail, I may carry carrots with me, and whenever there's a break in the action, I'll offer him a carrot so that he's eating on, on the trail. With some trails, it's harder for him to find grass or clover or whatever. So just carrying that along just to make sure that he's got something in his, in his stomach. Usually when we come in, I don't always pull the saddle, but on really hot days, I will, and I will just bucket the heck out of him. He, he stands really well. He, he likes having water poured on him, not on his head necessarily, but on the rest of him. And I know that his head is itchy, so I'm carrying my sponge so that he doesn't use me as the itching post until we're all done, and then he can roll and itch all he wants. So you know, making sure that, I, that I'm cooling him with water and scraping it off and the calcium and the floating oats. And then when we get back to the trailer, um, he gets his ice boots. He gets his ice boots for about 20, 25 minutes. Um, and then if I need to poultice, I'll poultice his legs. I'm trying to think if there's anything other than that that we do that's special. Probably the oddest thing that we don't do is I don't give him electrolytes. Early on... My vet and I discussed it, and he does better without the electrolytes. Again, he's always eating and drinking, so you know I kind of make sure that he's doing that. Um, he has free choice mineral and salt in his stall, but I don't do all the electrolyte stuff that other people do. I've heard that a horse should be able to do 25 without it, and so far, so good. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, anyway, um, that's about all I do that's, that I can think of, and nothing really more spectacular than that. Well, I love on him a lot, but uh, I'm not sure that makes a difference, <laughs> other than for me. So, anyway, I hope to see you out on trail soon. Happy trails.
Hey guys, this is Joy Kenyon from Montana, and I wanted to talk to you about competing on a non-typical endurance horse, and the differences in competing my Morgan versus competing my Arrow. Now, I only have 155 AERC miles. I did compete my Arab Jazzy a little bit in CTR, and I also did an LD on her before competing on my Morgan Mare Chinook. I've now done six LDs this summer, five on my Morgan, and the last one on my Arab. Both of these horses are similar in size and spirit. They love to trot and are both competitive. I think my Morgan may even have more go than my Arab. It's like she has an endless supply of energy. Now to prepare for competing my Morgan this year, I rode a lot in the winter. I was bound and determined to compete a season on my Morgan. I think that we put in about 250 miles from December to March which I know isn't a huge amount, but I was fighting with limited places to condition in the bitter cold and deep Montana snow. I was also having issues with ice balls forming on Chinook's feet. Our first ride was in Antelope Island. This being Chinook's first LD, she was pretty worked up. Bedding in, her heart rate was 60. The next day at the First and second vet checks, it took about four to five minutes for her to pulse down. That was with me getting off of her and leading her in probably the last half mile. Now the next two rides were more of the same. Her CRIs were generally, generally around 60 over 72. By the Wyoming ride in May, we started to gain in fitness. I got off, as usual, about half a mile from the vet check and I cooled her in a creek. We got to the vet check and she actually pulls down before two of the Arabs in front of her. Her CRI ended up being 60 over 54 and she got all A's on gut sounds, which was definitely an improvement from our first ride at Antelope Island where we had a few B's. At our last ride together in Fort House, Chinook was at pulse both times walking into the vet checks, which totally amazed me. I'd always get off and lead her in and pull the saddle and bridle as soon as I could. Unfortunately, she was lame on her last trot out, but her CRI and her pulse were still very low and she had definitely improved from the previous rides. Basically, Chinook improved with the last few rides and her baseline of fitness seemed to get better. It's hard to keep her cool and get her fit. It takes a lot more work than getting an Arab fit. She's very heavily built and really likes to hold on to her weight. I recently competed my Arab at Top of the World this past weekend, and she had lost a full two days before the Fort Howes ride. As soon as I got the green light from the vet, I started to condition her. I did not get to condition her near as much as I got to condition my Morgan, and she naturally had a low po pulse around 45 every vet check, even after a very mountainous ride with big climbs and having a lot of baby weight still. She travels, eats, and drinks better than my Morgan, although I don't think that's necessarily due to her breed. And last week, I finally got the green light to start riding Chinook again, so I'm going to start riding her again tonight and see how things go. Hopefully, the muscles she pulled is well healed and I can do at least one more ride on her this season, but I plan to take it slow. For those of you contemplating... On competing a non-typical endurance horse, I say go for it. It's very rewarding to slowly see all your hard work paying off. You can compete on a non-typical endurance horse and still be very successful. 
I suggest riding a little harder in the morning when it's cool and taking it slower as it heats up. Cool your horse with water every time you get a chance if it's warm. It is much easier to keep a horse cool than to bring a horse's temperature down after it's gotten too hot. I was fortunate that our first several rides it was cool and I did not have to put much effort into cooling Chinook. However, once it got hot out, I really had to pay attention to cooling her. I would imagine that Chinook, had she not gotten hurt, would be competing with better vet scores and better times by now. There are some ways that competing on a non-typical endurance horse can be hard. Don't let that stop you. I say it's more about heart and finding a horse that you get along with than anything else. Thanks for listening and feel free to ask me any questions on Facebook. I'm definitely still a green bean, but I love to help people out when I can. Hi, this is Keith Kibler. My wife Sandy Kibler and I live on a small farm in extreme southern Illinois, just north of Paducah, Kentucky, that we call Shawnee Sunrise Farm. We call it that in part because we live by and train in the Shawnee National Forest, and it is a true national treasure and one of the best places to ride and train horses that I have ever imagined. The Shawnee National Forest is approximately 300,000 acres, encompasses most of southern Illinois one way or another, and the main trail is called the River to River Trail, and as the name implies, it runs between the Mississippi River and the Ohio River for uh, 160 miles, and then there are many hundreds of side trails that branch off of it and interconnect. It is where we train, and um, we love it. We train and compete uh, gated horses, Missouri Fox Trotters and Tennessee Walkers, uh, against the fine Arabian breeds in endurance. Although I certainly believe in LD, and in my opinion, LD is endurance, we early on did some LDs, but now because of my work schedule, I have to basically close up my small law office um, and be gone to go to almost any rides. And so since we can do LD distance for free on Saturdays or Sundays, we do 50s. Both my wife and I do 50s, and I, I do 100s. We have a blast. We have an absolute blast. I was asked to talk to you today about a recent ride that was at the very end of June, the 1st of July, uh, just outside of Salem, Illinois, which is the nearest ride to where we live. Uh, And it is a ride called Dead Dog Creek, and it is um, put on by the Moorer family and Ruth Stewart, and it's Aaron and Linda Moorer. And they, the three of those people and their families to my best estimation, are the face of the AARC to me. They have given themselves selflessly to this sport out of their own pocket, and it's just the perfect newbie green bean ride. All the uh, vet checks are back in camp. Uh, The only drawback, if it is a drawback, and it's not a drawback to me, is that there is a 20-mile loop, and it comes back into camp, and that's what you do. So you have... uh, a 20-mile loop and two 15s for the 50. For the 100, which is called Lincoln Trail on the same on the same course in September, you have five 20-mile loops. It's a technical trail, and as a technical trail, uh, our horses um, really do well there. We've had um, a number of BCs at every distance, including 100 on the course, and uh, the, our horses are just very adaptive to the technical broken-up kind of 
kind of trail that this course has. We um, took three of our horses, two Missouri Foxtrotters and a Tennessee Walker, and I went up on uh, Thursday to secure a good camping spot and get the horses settled in uh, for the Saturday and Sunday rides. And then my wife came up Saturday. A traveling companion and close friend of ours by the name of Gabrielle rides a fine Tennessee walking horse. And uh, she was going to ride with Kate and I, my main, my main horse, Kate, who's a Tennessee walking horse mare, as the name Kate would imply. The projected humidity was going to be high and the projected heat was going to be 91 so that the heat index was in, going to end up being somewhere around 105 or 106 by the time the 50 was over and the course was very wet and very muddy. And so I made a decision the day before the ride that Gabby and I were not going to race, which we have a real tendency to do, um, but we were going to ride and ride for completion, and that's what we did. One of the things about gated horses is that uh, they have a number of gates, sometimes called gears, but a number of gates, and so unlike a trotting horse where you're you're trotting or you're cantering or running, we have intermediate gates that we can switch back and forth from. That Those include a running walk and a racking gate. Sometimes there's a, a, a saddle rack, also known as a broken pace or a slip pace, um, depending upon just that horse's tendencies. And then, of course, they will canter. They can drop their head and do kind of a cowboy lope if the horse is trained to do that. And they can run, although most of the time in, in these events we don't run our horses. But in hundreds, we sometimes sometimes do just to break things up for them. Uh, we use GPS watches and heart rate monitors to determine what the sweet spots are for each one of the different horses we train and compete. And we keep between 9 and 11. My wife and I keep between 9 and 11 horses training at any given time. And it is a business for us. Uh, all but our top two or three horses we offer for sale after they have usually three successful 50 completions. I think that I've probably got more to learn than what I know. Uh, we've had, uh, by the end of this last weekend, we end up having 101 rides is how many our horses have been to. And even though we are, we make no bones about the fact that on most days, depending upon the a actual situation with the horse and the weather, um, we are racing. Um, but even though I, we are racing, what I'm most proud about is our completion rate. And our completion rate with hundreds in the mix is about 89%. And that, uh, I think that's something that speaks for how good a gated horse can be in endurance. Gabby and I completed uh, fine the first day and went mid-pack, which is what my intention was. And we finished 10th and 11th out of 18 horses. Kind of as an aside, Friday night before the Saturday uh, 50, I got up about 2 o'clock in the morning, as um, us old guys have a tendency to do, and without my bifocals on, coming out of my gooseneck, I missed a step and fell badly and ended up with a um, badly cut up and swollen leg and two bruised ribs. Well, our friend Gabrielle is a uh, instructor at a medical school, and so when she came over at 4.30 in the morning to drink coffee, uh, she saw that I was not doing well and bandaged me up, and then off, off we went. Uh, not exactly the way you want to start back-to-back fifties, -back but that's kind of where where I was, and that's all that's all I could do. So then my wife came up Saturday, and um, we took vetted in two Missouri Fox Trotters, a black Missouri Fox Trotter that was in her second fifty, and she had this horse had top tened on the same course before, 
And then I have, uh, and that horse's name that my wife was riding is called the Gypsy. I was on a Palomino, Missouri Foxtrotter mare named Sarah, and she had gone, I think, seventh place in um, Raptor Run, which is Jody Buttram's ride down in Alabama. Both of these horses were well prepared and ready to go. This is kind of funny. Where I set out these training plans for, for these horses based upon data collection. Uh, I'm an old Ironman triathlete, and that's kind of deep down inside of me, is I want to see what's going on inside the athlete, whether it's an equine or a human. And so we always have GPS units on when we ride uh, together with our helmets, and a lot of the times we have uh, heart rate rigs, and I record every single mile that each horse that comes through our place and is trained at our place for over 10 years i have i have data on every horse that's come through here every training mile and every competition mile you can learn things the these horses will shift their gates or their gears their gates it will shift their gates when you ask them to and what happens is you can learn where a particular horse is most heart efficient at a particular speed um, i know that some people that compete gated horses have a tendency to say that they pick the speed and the horse picks the gate. I I think that's uh, that's not what I don't think. I know that's not what I want to do, and I don't think that's the most efficient way because the horse won't always pick what is best. You can train them, and then you can learn from your data collection what is easiest for them, and then ride them accordingly. I set out these training plan training plans, racing plans and kind of announce that to whoever's in our group if they're on our horses if they're on our horse so they can do whatever they want but a lot of times our friends are competing our horses because we've just uh, we've got more horses than we've got ability to set them during races and sometimes we take as many as five to an event although that's kind of extreme and that makes for a very very hard weekend and so i i set these training these racing plans out and my wife smiles and nods her head and then she just sort of does what she wants, and she's a marvelous rider. She can really ride one of these horses. I'd, I'd put her against anybody on a gated horse, and she only weighs about 105 pounds on a heavy day, so that's really not fair racing her against her because I'm like almost two of her. You see my point. So she looks and smiles and indulgently when I suggest the race plan for her, and then she does whatever she wants, and it all works out, and we have a good time. So we decided to really asked these horses for what we believe they were ready to do and they went off and very quickly went into the lead the second day these two missouri foxtrotters the gypsy and sarah and sandy and i swapped leads uh, back and forth all day and most of the day and part of when i say most i do mean most because with 125 yards to go she and gypsy slipped ahead of me and sarah and went through and i was so happy for her because out of 101 rides that our program has had, it was her first outright first place finish. And so we had a wonderful time. Both horses vetted in, and we took our completions and our uh, our homemade prizes, which are the best ones you can get. Not one, not something somebody bought, but somebody made with their own hands. And um, our prizes were made by race director's elderly mother, and it just doesn't get much better than that. So we got home, and you know how tired you are when you get home from one of these things, and you've ridden one or two days, or you've ridden 100, and then you try to go home that same night. I got home and uh, was exhausted, and then a couple of days later, 
walking across my driveway, I sneezed, and one of those bruised ribs <laughs> broke. So when people saw me limping around later, they said, did you go to an endurance event and get hurt? And so the answer is, yes, I went to an endurance event and I got hurt. But the truth of the matter is, I got hurt falling out of bed and sneezing. Stuff happens. Support each other. Learn what you can from endurance and the time with your horses and then freely and openly share that with others. That's what makes this sport great. Both the relationships that we end up with our horses and the relationships that we have with each other. Have a nice day. We enjoyed having you along for the ride. Endurance Horse Podcast is where you get to share your adventures of riding good horses through beautiful country. Many stresses in life are washed away by a good gallop, a steady trot, or by simply saddling up your favourite horse for an easy ride. Remember, every mile a memory. To share your story on Endurance Horse Podcast, send an email to endurancehorsepodcast at gmail.com.